Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My name is Toby Marlowe, and you're listening to Eleven, the official theater podcast. Hello and welcome to Eleven, the official theatre podcast that brings the biggest stars and creatives together in one place to discuss life in the arts. By royal appointment, today we have a guest that's become one of the most successful voices within British theatre. As the composer and co-writer of Six the Musical, he's brought the tales of the infamous wives to life in a show that's literally taken the world by storm. With productions across the globe and soon to be opening officially on Broadway, his work alongside friend and collaborator Lucy Moss has redefined the modern musical theatre model. Not his only success story, his show Hot Gay Time Machine has received rave reviews, an official London debut and has a sold out run in New York pending, but none of these successes have stopped him from returning to the drawing board and continuing to write on new projects. So how do you go from writing at university to peaking over 100 million streams on your first cast album? Well, let's find out as he joins me to talk through the global phenomenon of Six, wanting to see queer stories and queer people represented at a greater level on stage, his love and forever obsession with the previously mentioned Lucy Moss, and his plans to release some new work to us all rather soon. It's the all-round genius Toby Marlowe on this, the next episode of Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Just to let you know, due to the COVID-19 global pandemic, Toby and I connected digitally, so please forgive any brief moments while we wait for the internet to catch up. Enjoy. Letting me live out my best life as the queen I always knew that I wanted to be. Please help me welcome to Eleven. Oh, it's my lovely friend. It's Toby Marlowe. Hi, how's it going, queen? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cringe. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I bet you're like, not another bloody queen reference. No, I love it. Oh my gosh, everyone's a queen. That's the philosophy of the show, for goodness sake. I was saying before we started this that today is 365 days since theatres closed in London, which is incredibly sad. And we'll talk about that in a second. But mm. I did have the absolute honour and privilege of spending it with some of the girls that I know you know very well which yeah. is your West End cast of six and we t- spoke about this term queen what does it mean to be a queen and their answer very quickly was anybody can be a queen so I'm taking that fully to heart I'm going to live out my best fantasy while I ask you all these questions so we're going to have lots of fun today so I hope that's okay with you that is more than okay with me I feel underdressed maybe I should put on the crown or something but it's fine all podcasts are a bit are an audio medium so we're okay but um <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm so jealous that you got to hang out with them. I would love to hang out with them. I remember that after, I remember like every time we've done six after, after like the Queens come off stage, no matter like, you know, whether it was like the original student production or the one in, you know, Broadway where they come off stage and they're like, oh my God, that's the cast of six. Oh my God, I'm going to be there. <laughs> because they're so talented they fully convince you that they're like world famous pop stars every time they perform so yeah. but they literally do act like pop stars on stage which is you're like oh shit these are like really really talented people like hello as are you yeah. might i point out and i'm going to spend pretty much all of this podcast telling you about it so sort of prepare your blushes because i'm just going to tell you how amazing you are okay well like it's an audio medium so it's fine <laughs> <laughs> 365 days is a long time and I I sort of feel more normal about it now we're here but I think getting to this I don't think anybody would pretend that 
it's been easy, that this journey has been one that we never want to go on. When did you first, I guess, thinking back to pretty much a year ago, when did you first realise that something called the coronavirus, COVID-19, this word we'd sort of heard abroad, was actually going to start sort of affecting your life? When did you first realise that was going to happen? I find it so hard to like tap in to that time in February of last year before it kind of like started affecting us of like what I what I thought about it and I think like I remember it was kind of like a punchline for a while or like it was like it was like oh this thing like you know like it's not gonna like affect us it's like not nothing to do with us kind of thing but we were like aware it's like gradually growing in prominence and then I remember like there were like a few things we we were doing a piece for the New York Times and we asked at the time if like like before one of our interviews we could come into the offices and like look around and they were like okay and so we came in and like sat with like the arts and culture department for their like morning meeting and everyone's like okay what's everyone talking about what are are the stories here and everyone was like all, all people want to know about is coronavirus and this was like in February early like late Feb and I was like gosh okay wow everyone really does want to know about coronavirus and what it is and 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 I also think looking back on it I was so just like in this like manic headspace of like running around New York being like oh my god the show's about to open the previews oh my god there's all this stuff's happening like I can't even think about viruses because I'm, the show's about to open and then I think so I think I was kind of like denying things in a in a bit of a, a state of denial about like the impact it was it, it was gradually having in the week or so leading up it really was like oh this is like a thing that's like starting to like affect things people aren't flying there was like a suit that this like funky designer suit that I wanted to wear that some like people were trying to like help source for me so I could wear it to the opening night and they were like oh we can't fly it over because like someone's wearing it for an event in Asia this week and we won't be able to fly it over because of coronavirus and I remember being like oh lol like how COVID's like stopped me getting this like suit that I want to wear like haha as if and then gradually leading up to it I was like okay people are starting to be a bit worried about are we gonna have to like delay the opening like what's going on here everyone's like no we're going ahead it'll be fine we might have to like shut down in a couple of weeks time for like a week or something but who knows and then I remember it really went from like zero to 16 3.5 in the words of Rihanna Robin Fenty when we a New York Times article came out <laughs> so, yeah. a New York Times article came out the night before opening night saying that an usher who had been working on six had tested positive for COVID. Like, I don't know, fuck, okay. Like, what, 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 does the, the, what does this mean? We still knew very little about it. I was just like in my apartment in New York being like, okay, well, I like saw my grandparents today. Sh- like, should, should I, should I contact them and tell them to like, like go to a hospital? And I was like, wait, like, should I, am I allowed to leave my apartment? Is the show going to go ahead? Can we, can, and then we we're like talking to the producers and like, like, I mean, like, can we go ahead with it? And they were like, like, no one's shutting us down. Like, there were like reasons why, like, but basically like, no one knew what to do and no one knew like whose decision it was to make because we weren't being told to shut down by any higher power at this point and so it was like well who makes the decision like is it me and Lucy obviously not is it the producers yeah but like can they make this kind of decision like who knows what the right thing to do is then we found out more information and we found out that this usher had like been outside as opposed to like in the theater interacting with with um people coming and hadn't been backstage but then we like deep cleaned the theater and then it was like okay we're gonna like go ahead as if we're opening and and then oh god and then 
And then we were just told to go ahead as if we were opening. And so I remember like getting my nails done and I saw like my family and everyone was like doing elbows, like, oh yeah, elbows, ha ha ha. But like, do you remember that bit where everyone was like kind of like being, oh yeah, elbows, can't hug, but but in like a way that was like not that serious. Um, and then I remember I just like got, and then we were, and then everyone was like having conversations and like the Broadway League were talking to our producers who were talking to other unions and all this stuff. And we were getting little bits of updates. And I remember I, it was 90 minutes before and I just bought this like top <laughs> that I was going to wear under my, my suit for the opening night. And, and then I, my, one of my agents in New York sent me a Playboy article being like, have you seen this? And it was like, Cuomo announces that Broadway um, that New York's going to shut down and Broadway theatres will be shut down from like 5pm this evening and I was just like cool well I guess that's what's happening and I feel like the bit where I was like oh this is a serious thing that's directly affecting me was when that New York Times article came out because up until then I just think I was like oh that's not a thing that's gonna affect us if we need to like clean the theatre we will or like whatever but like then that moment I was like, oh, it's like in New York, it's in our theater. It's, it's, it's gonna, something's gonna, now gonna happen. How long did you stick around for in, um, in New York before heading back to lockdown here in the UK? I think because all my family had flown out, but we were like, we want to get out of New York as much as possible because, because then people were like, oh wait, are we gonna be like trapped in, in a foreign country? And I remember it was like, are we gonna be trapped in New York for a month? Am I gonna have to stay here for a month until we open in a month's yeah. time? And so everyone was like, no, let's like try and get home. And then they booked us some flights. And then I remember I like stayed there for, I mean, that evening I hung out with my family in my apartment, which looking back on it was the stupidest thing to do. But we just like got pizza and drank 17,000 bottles of Prosecco. We both know that a Broadway opening is no small task and it takes, you know, months, if not more, to make it happen. So was it quite so literal of it's on and then suddenly it's off? Well, that's the thing that it was like, because the decision was taken out of our hands. When New York is like, we're, we're locking down, then it's like, okay, well, just cancel everything. Actually, to be honest, I don't, I don't really know what it was like for the producers and the producing team that evening. I'm sure it was an absolute nightmare of, of administration of what they were doing. I'm sure there are, <laughs> here's me just being like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm sure they just like, no one turns up, I guess. But I'm sure there were like a thousand things to do and think about, um, which was incredibly stressful for everyone. But my main thought was like, it was important to like, I don't know, be with my family and friends that had come out and to like, to be yeah. with Lucy and, and to, and just to talk to the creative team and kind of see how they were. And because, yeah. It's important yeah. to say that six will happen on Broadway. You know, their plans are still there for it to happen. You will obviously get to wear your fancy suit, which hopefully won't be in Asia at the time that you do open. So you'll be able to. Oh, I bought a different suit. <laughs> I wasn't risking it. So actually that day I spent, Oh, a silly amount of money on a suit, which is still in my wardrobe and <laughs> yet to be worn. So fuck the around suit my house if you own the suit. Yeah. How, what did you say? <laughs> I said, fuck the suit, we don't care. <laughs> I know, I know. No, but you're right. Like, we, like it's it's like, it's it's a delaying of a thing, you know? Yeah. And it's, it'll happen, you know, hopefully this year or who knows when, but, you know, so it's 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 fine. Definitely. Definitely. Well, fingers crossed for you. I, I, it's an amazing show and uh, I look forward to people getting to see it and it getting to have its moment. It deserves to be the queen on Broadway. So I'm sure that will happen. Let's talk about theatre for you generally, because it's been a big part of your life, 
not just recently, but you know, it's pretty much as far back as you can remember. You've always had this interest and love of the arts, theatre mm. and, and composing and, and music and everything has always been sort of within your wheelhouse. It's obviously developed and come further, further on. But in terms of a life in the theatre, was that was that the plan? Did you think? Do you know what I want to be on the stage? I want to write for the stage. I guess. How did you get? to the point of which you started, I guess, let's go back from when you started writing six, let's go before then, I guess, how did you sort of get into that? Oh, um, how did I get into that? I guess, I, I like via acting, I guess, when I was a little baboo and I loved like doing anything for attention because I was a middle child and I <laughs> did all like the school plays and had a good time doing that. I was the grumpy sheep um, in, the, in the hit nativity musical, The Grumpy Sheep. I don't know if you'd read about that, but it was a pretty big deal. I did, um, I did, I did see it. I left before it started, but yeah. <laughs> I know. I know it was so close to being shut down. It was an absolute nightmare. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, and then I start, and then I was doing stuff at our like, local theatre, and then my mum's friend, who was a director, she was like, Toby really likes acting. My mum was like, yeah. She was like, have you thought about Toby auditioning for an agency? And mum was like, no. Um, and so then I auditioned for like Sylvia Young, and then I went, and then I, and places like that, and I got an agent. And I started auditioning for like West End shows, like Chishidi Bang Bang and things. And then I actually started, and then I did like a bunch of like film and TV projects between nine and 14, which is, is super that fun. Miss Marple? Oh my God, yeah. <laughs> right, tell I me. I recognized my true magnum opus. So I feel like if ever a, a film or a television show needs to be a musical, Toby Marlowe starring as Miss Marple in Miss Marple the Musical. Hello, cha-ching. Sonia Freeman, are you there? I've literally contacted every single producer <laughs> saying, look, <laughs> I need to be Marple on stage. We all know it. I have the wig. I have the suit, for God's sake. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd love, I'd look, honestly, any work at the moment would be great. Um, no, I, yeah. And so, yeah, so I was, Miss Marple was my first. I played James Stoddard West, the bilingual little French-English boy. Um... My favourite line of that was, who's Mrs. M. Crackenthorpe? Which, I know, I know. Hey, hey, there's no need to cry. I know it's moving, but, but you know. It's the BAFTA nomination you deserve, let's all be honest. Yeah, and the one I was very grateful to get and to win. So that was a, you know, it was a good year that year. Oh. Um, and um, yeah, and then I was like also at the same time, like always doing music and always songwriting around the house, but not really like kind of like doing like, theatre or, or mm. acting and music together oh actually that's a complete lie I also was a, a member of this like local theatre group called Acorn um which was the most amazing wonderful thing in the whole entire world and I did it like throughout my whole childhood until I left school um and it was just kind of like bohemian vibey thing where there was lots of like music making and, st- and it, was very, it was very storytelling um and like very like hilarious and wacky and 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 I just had the most very creative and we just like went around Oxfordshire and also to Devon like doing like shows about wolves and about the retellings of like old myths and stuff and I did a lot of like songwriting for that and like jamming with the other members of the band and that was like the coolest thing in the whole entire world and like you know fueled the fire even more I guess. Yeah, and and then I, and then I you know did more acting at school. I went to uni, and I was like, oh, I want to be a singer songwriter. But then I in my first week, my friend was like, Oh, I'm, I've written a musical. Can you audition for it? And I was like, Okay. And I did a, a musical in my first week of uni, the first term of uni, called The Last Post, which was um, written by Henry Jenkinson and Ellen Robertson, who are now both unbelievable, amazing people doing incredible things. 
Um, and I was like, oh my God, like someone my age has like written a musical and like put it on. That's so cool. Um, and yeah, and then from there I was just writing songs and music for plays at uni um, until six came along really. Where did the arm of writing come into the person that wanted to be an actor? Was that purely sort of down to trial and error? Yeah, I, I guess I was like always doing songwriting and like wanting to be like a singer songwriter throughout my childhood. Like my parents are musicians, we're a very like musical family. And I was just like, always like writing songs with like, you know, like, like my, my godparents, children were musicians, we were always jamming with them. And just like my best friend was a pianist and we were always jamming. And so just like always doing a lot of music and songwriting. And then there was like, and then like with Acorn the Theatre Group, I would write songs for those shows. And that was, and then I, and I was doing that because of acting. And so then like music kind of started mm. bleeding into it. And then it's kind of a thing of like, when you're an actor doing a theater show, if you're the one that like can do music as well, people are usually like, oh, can you like do a bit of music for this? Or like write a song for this bit? And you're like, oh yeah, I guess so. And then they, the worlds kind of like start to bleed together. Do you get the urges to go away from your writing voice and your writing head back into potentially the world of acting like do you sometimes think I actually wouldn't mind you know six weeks in Les Mis being in an ensemble learning that giving it a go or do you think that that's perhaps something that you you loved and enjoyed but now you've obviously got something else always I loved performing at uni I found when I was like performing in something and it like wasn't going well or I like didn't feel comfortable or I wasn't like in love with the piece I felt like I had like very little control and that made me so anxious and so stressed and like really like not make the experience enjoyable but when you're like writing for something and you're like on the other side of things and you like have more like control of what like the piece is going to be and you can like give it to like amazing performers who you trust and that was like a like a less anxiety inducing experience I guess and also like as my like queerness was like developing and then like the majority of like things that I was like auditioning for was like like straight boys and Shakespeare plays and I was there just like oh it's actually like not that fun to like <laughs> like really like, I don't know like like not myself in a way or like I, it felt like I don't know less enjoyable um as it went on but then in my third year of uni me and Lucy and our friend Zach were at a show called Hot Gay Time Machine yes which is basically just like me and Zach and Lucy directed it and it was like us performing in it and just like being like these like hyper camp ridiculous versions of ourselves and singing songs we've written about our lives and it was like the most fun I've ever had of all time doing that show and then it really like reinvigorated a love of performing <laughs> how narcissistic it's like I really fell in love with performing again when I could perform as, as myself when I'm the star thank you when I'm the star in a role that's named Toby um but and does so, that make giving, you know, for example, you said about control and, and perhaps mm -hmm. things not going in a way that perhaps you see them or would like them to. Does when you create work that you then hope will be successful, you say, oh, this is what I've done. If it's a song or a piece or a show, does it make it difficult to, to give that over to someone else? Or do you have to believe in the material that it's right and therefore that person will do what you've written? I guess, how do you, that seems like they could potentially clash. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's, like, inconsistent and always a bit different. You know, I, I just, like, there were, like, a couple of times when I was, like, in a show when I was acting at uni, and I was like, oh, my God, I'm not enjoying this, and I feel like I'm not good enough to, like, make this situation not stressful. I'm not enjoying this. But one of, my like, my biggest joys ever is when you write something and you give it to someone who you, like, phenomenally trust as a performer or a director and they're like, because like, because like doing Hockey Time Machine, like Lucy, who I trust creatively more than anything in the world, and Zach, who I trust creatively more than anyone in the world, like 
doing something together, I'm just like, oh my God, even if I'm terrible, like this is going to be fun and good and feel good because I trust everyone around me doing it. And like with Six, everyone in the team, always unbelievable. The cast, always unbelievable. And you know, the material, we're like proud of it. And so I'm always like, you know, you still feel completely anxious every time you, anyone goes on stage to perform your material, but it also just feels really rewarding and great because you're like, oh, I know I'm not directly controlling this, but I've like, I guess it's like a thing when you're like, when you're acting, it's live. If something, I'm immediately in charge of what's happening in this moment. And that's quite a stressful thing, but also yeah. a very like enjoyable thing. Um, whereas like when someone's performing your work, you've like spent many hours trying to make it something that, you think is going to be good and going to work and then when you're given when that's in a place that you feel is good enough to give someone else to perform then usually that feels you know pretty pretty cool you mentioned hot gay time machine i am fascinated firstly with the title so firstly can you please explain <laughs> to me what the title means and then i can ask you all these questions about something that i read is naked politics of the school locker room and i was like yeah. politicians and i was like Pol- naked politicians in a school locker room i was like that sounds like a very interesting show but i of course i read the incorrect one so let's go back <laughs> to the first question then we can talk about my naked politicians basically we came up with the title first we were like wouldn't it be fun to do a show called hot gay time machine and then we were like okay now we've got to come up with a show that like makes that make sense because the vibe was like let's call it like hot gay time machine and then like do a show or like that's like us being hilarious on stage <laughs> God, that was the idea. And then it was like two weeks before the show, and Lucy was like, and we'd like joked about early when we were applying to do it that union, like, oh yeah, Lucy, you're director, you're director, and ha ha ha. She was like, oh okay, la la la. And then it, then we like got this the slot, and then it was like two weeks before it went to be on. It means I had written like two songs or something, and didn't have a, like a show, a concept, a structure, anything. And Lucy was like, um, am I still directing the show? And we were like, yeah. Do you want to? And Lucy was like, yes, oh my God, what's going on? And then we had to kind of like, she was like, okay, cool. So pocket time machine. So the time machine, it means it's gonna be you going through your lives. So we're gonna look at these different moments in your life and we're gonna write songs about them and then we're gonna like put it on. And so, so the time machine is like us going through our lives using hot gay time travel to, um, to, to sing songs about our lives and that's it. And it's um, beautiful. <laughs> and it's fabulous so where do my sort of hot naked politicians or politics as i should really say where do they come into play oh my god that's with a song called try not to get cox in the locker room ah oh, yes the adele song um, yes 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 and adele covered it which was really really kind of her um she was like i want to do this song on my album I, i'm gonna do a good job of it and we were like cool and she's been so great with the material and so great to work with love collaborating with adele and we'll do it again <laughs> can you imagine <laughs> Imagine just giving it to her in all seriousness and just being like, I actually want to see what she says. Because knowing Adele, she'd probably be like, Yeah, right then. You'd be like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Knowing Adele, who only releases incredible music <laughs> constantly. Don't you put yourself like, down? Yeah, like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do Cox in the locker room. Yeah, that's your um, someone like you. Don't be disrespectful. Oh my god, I'm just putting myself down. You're right, it is. Um, that's my magnum opus. Um, yeah, so. Yeah, um, that's the song, and it kind of speaks for itself, I guess. You can guess what it's about. <laughs> and it's had a brilliant reaction in the United States. I mean, you're set to play the public, right? Oh my god, we, we were meant to do it at Joe's Pub. 
and but that got cancelled okay. because of covid yeah so so we did it at uni then we did it at the fringe twice and then mm-hmm. we've done it in like the west end we did a run at, at trafalgar studios which was really fun um and then we were meant to be doing it at soho theater last summer and then we we're going to be doing it in joe's pub as well as our final ever performances of it but obviously those were cancelled so i guess watch this space in hopes that it'll happen again when theater comes back because I did see that it was sold out. I mean, in terms of anticipation, people were looking forward to it. So there's certainly an audience there for you. So fingers crossed you do get the opportunity to, you know, to to get your sort of pièce de résistance and your goodbye tour, as Cher has, you know, sort of saying. Oh my God, I know. I would love it. Oh, it just, do you know what, though? It's like, it's so funny because it's so outdated. And like, it's us being our like 2017 selves and we're like completely different people as the people that were performing in the show. But there is actually nothing more fun than, than performing it. And also like, it's just like the message of the show, just like, accept yourself and love yourself and be queer and happy (laughs) always always resonant which is a good default setting for me i must confess queer and happy is always the one i at least try to go to even if oh my god yeah if you're gonna do one of the two might as well try for both yeah sometimes i do queer and miserable but that doesn't tend that's like tuesdays thursdays do you know what i mean yeah queer and sad queer and scared queer and anxious but queer and happy oh when the combo hits (laughs) brilliant (laughs) was doing this show one of the first times, I guess, sort of looking to New York and obviously the West End, uh, the time in London that you mentioned, was it one of the first times that you'd had a different piece to Six where people had sort of said, oh, this is another thing from those people that made Six? Was this the first time that you've been associated with a show and they say, oh, this is something else? Because I can imagine the first time that happened, because one thing's a success, people instantly think another's going to be. So you sort of, you must have sort of double jeopardy in a way. People are like, oh, we've got to go. It'll be great. So how, I guess, how, how, how was the pressure? Yeah, like, I just, well, it's funny because because we wrote both at the same time. Like, Hot Gay happened the same term that me and Lucy, like, wrote Sex at uni. And so then we and we both, we did them both at the Fringe in the same year. And then obviously, like, Sex blew up. And then Hot Gay also, like, had producers coming to see it who were like, oh my God, we like want to do this in London. And so we were always like doing Hot Gay as Six was building. And like in 2018, when we were like putting together the professional production, like we were doing Hot Gay at the other palace every month and we had like a residency there. And then like Six then like came to the West End for those seven weeks in 2018 in like September, October. And then after that, we did Hot Gay from like November in the West End and then Six opened permanently in the West End like the week after that Hot Gay run ended and so they all kind of like happened at the same time um and because we wrote the same wrote them at the same time it was it was less like oh my god like are people gonna like Hot Gay because it was like we've done like, like two things at the same time which people seem to get on board with but we had people coming to see Hot Gay in that West End run who were like oh my god we love sex and that was like really weird that it was like we're like fans of this other thing you've written so we've come to see this thing and I'm like oh my god I feel like I feel like Lady Gaga, you know, and like that was really fun. Um, and then yeah, and it's kind of like since then where it's like oh god, you know, we haven't like you know released and like our next like big thing. But they also felt like very different things because like we did Hot Gay with Zach, like I performed in that one, and it feels like a different thing to like six. You know what I mean? Was creating that show a direct response to what you mentioned earlier, which was about a lack of representation and seeing yourself 
Oh my god, I would love to be able to say that, but literally it came about from me and Zach being completely full of ourselves and third year of uni, being like, oh my god, we have to do a show that's just us two on stage for an hour being amazing. <laughs> and just like, doing like songs that we can write and all these dance routines and like costume changes. That'll be like the best thing ever. But like that that's literally what I came. It wasn't like, look we need to like see queer people on stage and tell queer stories it was like we would be so good it would be so fun but I kind of feel like that's like you know at the time as like two queer people being like we want to be on stage like what what was happening there was us being like we want to be on stage talking about our queerness very openly and publicly and celebrating ourselves which is a powerful thing you know and I feel like you can you know and and also looking back on Hotgate it was like doing that show was like hugely hugely powerful for both me and Zach just like being on stage as ourselves and being really 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 queer and Mm. gay and loud and celebratory about it was like amazing for 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 us for our confidence because we were still so young at the time do you know what I mean and just like being on stage having lots of people going wow and you're like we're the hot gays like it felt very validating and very good and it also had like amazing repercussions for like my family life Mm. you know um like kind of like you know doing hot gay really like made conversations about gayness easier with like people in my family because I could like show them my story do you know what I mean like which is um and like show them like a huge part of my identity in a very way in like a very like celebratory fun entertaining way so it's funny that like it started as a thing that was like oh my god it's gonna be so silly and camp and ridiculous and then it became a thing I was like oh it's actually like you know really like helped change my life in lots of ways for the better so to answer my question let's should we just say yes I mean yes you were wanting to represent queer people no or we say like I'm not quite sure what the, I'm not quite sure what the answer is yes no it wasn't but yes it has that's that's right the, the answer is yes it was about representation but representation of myself yes <laughs> which is a genre in itself let's not get too carried away like hello it's like I need to see people like me on stage but more specifically just myself <laughs> In terms of flicking between projects, you mentioned about writing Six and also Hot Gay at the same time, but mm-hmm. have you then also tried to develop other things in terms of cr- in sort of flexing that creative muscle? Or do you have to sort of, you know, stick with stuff that's quite linear and say, I can only work on this now at the same time, I guess. How does your brain work? Oh my God, that's such a good question. I have no idea. Um, like during the last couple of years, it's been like, like a lot harder for me and Lucy to like do writing because like Six in all its different ways, just, like, takes up a lot of time, whether it's, like, travelling to audition or to rehearse or to... Because also Lucy's one of the directors. And so lots of travelling, lots of rehearsals, lots of this and that, and there's always just things going on. And then occasionally, like, oh, quick, we've got a spare week. Let's, like, get an Airbnb in Kent and just write something. Um, And still like having all these general meetings all the time during that time or like with people like oh what are you working on at the moment we're like well literally nothing just six and so but like gradually getting ideas and working on bits and bobs of things and then we've kind of like in the last year just done like a ridiculous amount of writing because we've had the time to do so um and which has been you know um great we're really lucky that we've had that um and now we're kind of, we're still kind of like working out like how we work and what we work on and when, 
we've done things before where we tried to do like, you know, a day on this, then a day on this, then a day on this, like, kind of like a revision schedule. <laughs> and now we're kind of like, okay, let's like write on this project for two months. And then let's write on this project for two months. And like, and, but I guess like, you know, once the world starts up again, who knows what's going to look like because, um, you know, in terms of like timing and schedules and stuff. But at the moment, it's kind of funny because we're just we're kind of doing like a nine to five schedule, just like, you know, waking up, writing, going to bed. I guess, and finally, we've spoken so much about the different hats that you've got. You've spoken about the successes that you've had, the challenges, the representation that you want to see, the fun that you just want to see on stage, the amazing people that you've had the opportunity to work with and a few hints about some possible things happening in the future. But do you have anything that you're still desperate to try and fit into a very busy life that you'll have once theatre comes back? Is there anything that's still sort of top of that wish list that you think, yeah, I'm going to try and do that? Uh, Finding love. (laughs) I don't know where that comes into the industry. Oh, if it does, I don't mind. No, I'm done dating actors. Um, but um, yeah, finding love and um, finishing something else, finishing another show and putting that on, whatever form that takes, finishing, some, finishing another project, writing it with Lucy and being like, bam, here's something else. Would be lovely to do. Um, my God, <laughs> going to a club. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually my number one ambition in my career at the moment. This is going to a club and filling myself with Prosecco and dancing. Toby, it's such a pleasure to get the opportunity to talk to you. So thank you so much. And oh just to celebrate you, I said at the start that we were going to discuss so many different things and so many things that I know people have got lots of questions to ask so hopefully anybody that is a fan of your work has had lots of their questions answered today I look forward to hearing about some of those projects I know there are very limited things that we can say but I think it comes with great excitement rather than pressure that we know that there are things happening so please um, best of luck with that and I hope you get to finally finish something that you can put out to the world and and feel very very proud of and hopefully maybe even Go to New York and open your show. You never know the craziness that might be out there. That would be fun. I've got a suit perfect for it. (laughs) (laughs) You've been listening to Eleven, the official theatre podcast. Find out more about Eleven at elevenpodcast.com or via our official social channels. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.